Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 71. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday. Steelers Nation getting ready for Week 18. Coming at you pretty quickly for Pittsburgh Saturday at 4.30 against Baltimore. Big game, obviously, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, much less so for the Ravens. Dave, how you doing? I am doing good uh, to start off this new uh, year. And I think, what, this is our second show now of the new year, right? We had one on uh, New Year's Day. Uh, exciting week at hand, obviously, playoff possibilities and a must, you know, I not I guess not technically a must-win game for the Steelers when it comes to the uh, fifth and final scenario that could get them in, but uh, I think it would behoove them to win this game. It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens end up handling this. I think we both agree that we'd be surprised if they don't sit several starters, but things can obviously change. I think Harbaugh uh, will probably talk to the media today. Maybe he'll shed a little bit of light on that, probably be writing about that uh later on today as well too but uh overall ready to get this show started we got a lot to talk about we do and despite mason rudolph being the starting quarterback of the pittsburgh steelers for week 18 right now the news is kenny pickett who did speak with the media on tuesday and missed all the rumors about him refusing to be the backup or however you want to frame or couch those reports and speculation that came out early in the week pickett very strongly denying it, um, saying there was no truth to it. There was there was no discussion about Pickett being the number two. If he was healthy, he was going to start, which is an interesting comment in itself. Um, but obviously, uh, it, it's still a, a little weird. But but to the point, Pickett is denying the report or accusation or thought he refused to be anything. He did whatever the team told him to do is his claim and standpoint. Yeah, and that's why we kind of tabled that. We mentioned it, but we said, let's see how this plays out, kind of knowing that Pickett would more than likely address the media at some point this week, uh, with this being a short week. Uh, uh, both the quarterbacks uh, talked uh, Mason Rudolph and, and, and Kenny Pickett on Tuesday there, and he, he just opened up right out of the bat and said, I saw reports out there that, that I felt uh, like we're attacking my character and how I am as a person, not even getting into a player standpoint of it. There was no talk of me being a backup quarterback this week in terms of being a two. If I was healthy enough to play and the trainers and coaches felt like I would look good enough to play, I was going to, I was, I was going to start and play. If they believed that I was not, which they believed I was not, I was not going to dress and suit up for the game. So whoever reported that, I don't know where it started. It's kind of crazy what people were right put out there to try to prove their point, to help their standpoint of their careers and what you guys do. But, you know, disappointed to see that without any proof of basis on it uh, there. Uh, and then he obviously went into, you know, talking about, hey, he was going to be the two this week. Uh, there's still a lot of, if you want to get, you know, how far do you want to go down into <clears throat> contextualizing and breaking down every word and, and, and 
trying to find meaning on it because I mean, you, you could, you could literally take that statement and break it down by word and, and take it in, in several different directions here. Uh, what, what is still to me, and I mentioned this quite a bit during the last show there is, and most of this plays back to what Mike Tomlin said. In, he was point black, point blank asked, uh, was Kenny, I'm going to pull up the, the exact quote here. Was Kenny cleared or med- medically? Uh, right. That's the only thing because Tomlin did confirm Pickett was medically cleared prior to the Seahawks game. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find it here, specifically the, the line of question. Was Kenny cleared to play by the medical folks for this past game? One, an- one word answer, yes. So was it was it your call to make him inactive then? Yeah, that clarity didn't come until later in the week. And when it was about the distribution of reps and who was best prepared to position, position to help us win. And, and so that's the direction that we went with. Then he was asked, why not just have him as the emergency guy in uniform? Because again, the likelihood of that coupled with the risk in terms of what I didn't see from him, it would have been speculating. And I just, you know, not into speculating. Uh, That's, look, what Kenny said to open up his press conference there on on Tuesday, I think it comes down to whether, just, do you believe him or not? We'll never know, I guess, the exact truth that does ultimately become he said, she said, but Pickett is denying it in, in the strongest way possible, so... You would, you would just logically, you know, do you think he'd really refuse the, the backup job there? My guess would be no, but I, I don't know for sure. I just, we're just passing, passing along the information right now. Right now, look, I, I'm going to come right out and say it. I, I believe him. I have no reason the way he is handled. We've talked about his character from, from day one and, mm-hmm. you know, the m- m- mature, uh, uh, aspect and all uh, of him, uh, to this point of his NFL career, I have no reason to believe that he's not a team player. Now, look, was was he probably disappointed and 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 uh, especially the way things have played out at this point? Absolutely, you know, he's a competitor. Blah blah blah. All the, all the things that go along with that. Uh, at its at its core, I I I believe him. Now, where where it gets into once again the gray area here to me is Mike Tomlin said, yeah, he was medically cleared by, by the folks for this last game, albeit it did come late in the week. Why wasn't he the, why wasn't he dressed to be the number three quarterback? You know, and then Kenny's sure. Kenny, what was Kenny's response to, uh, uh, let me go further here. Uh, so this week, so now I'm the number two, blah, blah, blah. Where's the other point here? I wanted to get to real quick, uh, as a competitor. No. Okay. He says, uh, if Mason had not played well, I, I feel I would have gone earlier than they would have wanted me to. And that's just the truth of the situation. He played well. They felt with where I was at in my recovery, they didn't want to push it to suit up and get thrown in there. That's why I didn't suit up. Now that's in reference to being the number two. Okay. All right. So yeah, what was he, if he's health, 
I, I mean, it's, sem- it's semantics here, but I think it's still an important fact that if he was cleared healthy enough to play, okay, maybe you, maybe you didn't want to risk it with him being the number two. Why not, at least in the emergency situation, put him as the number three? Sure, that's valid. I still don't quite understand that point, but to the bulk of the reporting about him refusing to be the number two, Pickett is outlining why that's not accurate. Do you believe the part where he said, if I was healthy enough, if I had been healthy enough, I would have been, I would have started this game? Again, that's the only one that kind of raised my eyebrow because per Tomlin, he was healthy. But I think what happened was that clearance had come to late in the week. He didn't have the reps. And so I think maybe it was something where they had planned out for a while that if Pickett was healthy, kind of whenever he first had the surgery, we're going to anticipate you come back for the Seattle game week 17. That was the plan. And then late in the week, he's still kind of working back and the reps aren't there. And of course, large part due to Rudolph, you know, playing well, you weren't going to bench him in this one. So they kind of changed up their approach. So I, my guess is that was that comment is in reference to a, an initial plan the team had maybe a couple weeks ago, and then things changed late week. All right. Uh, look, I, I'm I'm my focus on all this is a lot different than than uh, others at this point. My my focus, and and that's because I, at least from from my interpretation of what has all been said. Uh, especially by Kenny on on Tuesday. Once again, I have no reason at this point to believe that he just said, "Look, if I can't if I can't start, I'm not going to be the number two. I, I there's there's not enough there for me to believe that. Now, might it come out at a later point? Look, strange. I guess stranger things have happened. Personally, I have no reason to believe that Kenny Pickett put an ultimatum in there and said, look, if you're not going to start me, I'm not even going to dress as a backup or, or even as a number three uh, here. Uh, that's the first part of it. The second, the, the second part of this that I stay attached to is the differences in, 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 in them talking about the health and all, all like that. Now, Kenny did say they, that, uh, that, you know, I guess you could parse what he had to say is say, say, you know, they didn't think I was healthy enough to be the number two. Did they think he was healthy enough to be the number three, you know, and mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin saying, yes, he was that that's where the discrepancy sure. that, that I have a hard, hard time getting past. Uh, and, you know, specifically, I feel like would have, I, I feel like they, he should have still had the number three emergency tag next to him. and. Uh, if Mike Tomlin would have said no to that question about his mm-hmm. health, then it it diminishes everything at that point. Sure, sure, it, it becomes a bit more logical. So here, here's what we do know going forward. Instead of looking back, Pickett will be the number two against Baltimore. He was a full participant in Tuesday's estimated report of walkthrough, but he should be full for the rest of the week of practice. He will be the backup to Rudolph on Saturday and presumably for any future games Pittsburgh may or may not play in. Look, all this is going to be highly c- going to continue to be parsed in context and and which side of the narrative does it fit and all like that. And especially now with at least for now, Kenny being the number uh, two backing up Mason Rudolph. There's, a, as we mentioned the other day, there's going to be questions about this quarterback room at least where we sit right now today, uh, uh, going off into the off season and all like that, uh, overall. So, you know, if you're listening to this, I, I, I think, 
that it comes down to what, you know, who do, who do you trust with, with what they said this past week, Tomlin or, 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 or Kenny or what? Media reports. Or, uh, huh? Or, or media reports. Yeah. Or, you're, or, you're debating or, or media on reports. Right. Exactly. So probably said enough about that. There, there is no hundred percent, you know, smoking gun knowledge, but we gave you all the information and people can make their own conclusions. All right, Dave, let's go to Pittsburgh more broadly. They released their initial Tuesday injury report yesterday. It's an estimated report because they had a walkthrough, so it's not a full, normal, quote-unquote, practice. But listed on the report, uh, as it did not practice, was Mika Fitzpatrick with his knee, Landon Roberts with his pec. Four players limited. That's Trenton Thompson with the neck, Najee Harris, the knee, Isaac Sayamalu, the shoulder, and Kim Hayward, his groin. Kenny Pickett listed as a full participant. So names to watch here, Thompson. Fitzpatrick and Roberts sounds like Thompson has a chance, but we had that thought last week and then he went backwards and did not play against Seattle. Fitzpatrick really would like to get that guy back for this game. Not a great start to the week. I think today will be really important for him when you, this team presumably has a full normal practice and then Roberts will see on him as well. So safety linebacker injuries remain for Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, it's not looking great for making Alana Roberts, is it? I mean, I know it was just a walkthrough, but today we'll, I, we'll get a better picture today. But with this being a short week and 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 you know things like that, stranger things have happened. But uh, I, I think you highlighted it good. There's there's really three three players to talk about, uh, and uh, with, with 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 Kenny now expected to be back in uniform, and that is Mika Fitzpatrick, Alanda Roberts, and Trenton Thompson. Right. So uh, today's report, Wednesday's report should come out by the time a little after people probably listen to this. We'll have, again, a better idea for Baltimore. I think by Friday's show, we'll we'll really kind of know what their plan is and who they will not play. Uh, Coach Harbaugh has not officially committed to resting starters, but that is, I think, the safe implication for many of their star and notable and injured players. And so I was talking to a Ravens buddy last night, and he said there might be a ton of guys that either just don't dress or they dress, but they're playing few snaps, if any. And so you're really going to see in all likelihood a slew of backups for Baltimore on Saturday. Yeah, but and they still have to dress a certain amount of players, right? Because you don't <laughs> you you don't want to you you don't want to tax you know like thirty five total players more more probably than you uh, than you have to there. But uh, you know if you go back and posted this in in our Discord channel uh, the other night there, if you go back to what was it two thousand seventeen, I believe the Ravens were in a similar position uh, here, and you look at their inactive list for that game, it was Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, Earl Thomas, Marshall Yan. And, uh, Ronnie Stanley, Mark Andrews, and uh, who's that? Brandon Williams uh, mm-hmm. uh, was the other. Tackle. Yeah, and uh, uh, while he, I, I guess he, I don't remember specifically if he suited up or not, but I know he was active. Jimmy Smith did not play uh, in that game as well, too. So they uh, look the inactive list more than likely is going to have to include seven players uh, for the Ravens because I, I would assume that they're going to elevate a couple of uh, uh, guys off the practice squad for for this game. Uh, now, just because you have an inactive list for seven doesn't mean you have to uh, dress what what what's remaining there. There might be a couple extra guys out of uniform, but I would be surprised if we saw anybody of significant real real big significance play in this game. And even some of those guys that may have some significance, their time might be limited. 
Right. Some guys may dress and may technically be active, but how much do they play is a different you know, set of circumstances. So yeah, my, my Ravens buddy, which may be sacrilegious to say, but, but a good friend, um, really smart about the Ravens said, you know, Lamar obviously not going to play. Be surprised about many of their DBs, Kyle Hamilton, um, potentially Stevens, the, the defensive back may not go Smith queen, uh, Zeitler on the offensive line probably won't suit up. He said really the only group that's probably going to be intact is a defensive line because they don't have a lot of replacements or other options to, to rotate in guys right now. So going to see a, a, a kind of, you know, patch together Ravens team in a game that means nothing for them from a playoff standpoint. And look, you go back to that uh, 2019 game. They still beat the Steelers. What was it? 28 to 10. Uh, was that the game Bud Dupree went down in? Was that the rainy? No, that was a rainy day, but that was a, a different year or game or something okay. like that. But uh, the, the, it was a similar set of circumstances. Baltimore, nothing to play for. Pittsburgh needed a win and help. And then that was mid-game Pittsburgh was okay. not getting the help they needed. The rains came down. Pittsburgh kind of waved the white flag, and and they got rolled at the end. All right. All right. So, uh, look, there's no no gimmies. We've seen this go sideways on teams in the past. And you even go back to, what was it, 2004 with the Bills versus the Steelers, and the Steelers rested uh, all their players. And you had the rise of Willie Parker in mm. that game, and uh, they ended up uh, beating the Bills in that game. And the lone pass of Brian St. Pierre, I believe. Didn't he throw a pass in that game? But yeah, I that was. That was the Willie Parker coming out game. Good, good memory. Good pull there. Some other Steelers news. TJ Watt yesterday named Pittsburgh Steelers 2023 team MVP, the fourth such MVP award given to TJ Watt in his career, tying Antonio Brown for the most in Steelers history. So no brainer there. Good selection. Not much of a surprise, but well-deserved all the same for TJ Watt. Yeah, absolutely. And now that that makes what four, four years out of the last five, right? For him. Yes, only exception was last year because he missed half the season. Uh, the thing with him to kind of look uh, forward to uh, this week, obviously him and Trey Hendrickson are tied for the uh, sack lead with 17 heading into the fin- finale here. Uh, interesting nugget. Uh, he could establish an NFL record by leading the league in sacks for a third season uh, here. And uh, let's see, it led the league with 15 sacks in 2020 and 20. 20- 22.5 in 2021 is one of eight players who has led the NFL multiple times since sacks became an official statistic, individual statistic in 1982. So, uh, you know, he wants it. He'd, he'd like to put the quarterback on the ground a couple, <laughs> couple, three times in this game against the Ravens. And and they, you know, they, they might need him to. They might. And my Ravens buddy also said the tackles may not play in this one. Would not be surprised if Morgan Moses and Ronnie Stanley sat, which means who did they say would start uh, Fala Laley, I think right tackle and then Macari at left tackle. So that'll be an, an advantage for Pittsburgh there. Should note Deacon Jones did leave the league at sacks five times in his career, but that's the unofficial since sacks did not become okay. official since 82. But what would become the first of the official sack era starting in the uh, early 80s? All right. Here's the hope and he gets it. For sure. All right. One other thing we didn't mention on Monday, it was out there a little bit, got some traction on the site, but we had so much game stuff to talk about. I didn't feel like we wanted to dedicate too much time about it, but a little slower show today. Uh, Big Ben doing his live stream uh, during the Seahawks game, offering his commentary, become pretty popular and had some comments about the quarterback situation in Mason Rudolph. And essentially, you know, he supported Mason the last couple of weeks, endorsed him to start against Seattle, you know, said he's played well but did reflect on their time together on Rudolph being drafted. And we all remember Ben 
seemingly unhappy about the selection and Ben reiterated that he was not, it was nothing personal against Mason. He just thought that the team could invest in somebody who would help them win now, as opposed towards the future. But then the most interesting comment made was, I think referencing that 2019 season where after Ben got hurt against Seattle, funny enough, um, you know, that he had said that Mason asked for his help that first week and then didn't want it from there on out. And so Ben backed off. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. I can, I can pull it up, but that's Ben's standpoint of it and said that he's closer with duck because duck more often came to Ben for help and advice. And Mason did not. That's just his one story. I'm not presenting that as fact. I'm presenting that as what Ben had to say, but essentially Ben saying that I gave Mason the help until he didn't want it anymore. And then I backed off and that's Ben's commentary and viewpoint of how that relationship worked. As my old man used to tell me, so that's your story and you're going to stick to it, right? Yes. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't buy all that, you know, trying to think back in my head and I wish I could, I, I, I need to spend some time. Well, I mean, I don't need to just for my own to, 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 to try to put it back out there. I think, you know, look, uh, was, was Ben obviously not happy about them dra- drafting a quarterback, especially as early as they did that, that year. And, and probably with, uh, some, some good reason. Yeah. But didn't Ben also him haul around a little bit about not knowing how much longer he was going to play and, 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 and that kind of thing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, with, without a doubt, even, even at its core, uh, you can, you can understand Ben's frustration saying, man, why the hell y'all, drafting a, a another quarterback when we could use some more help in other areas on this team immediately. So you know, I, I get that aspect where I was going with this. It's, I seem to remember an interview that Mason did right after he was drafted. I mean, that first week, I don't know if it was at that rookie rookie premiere, uh, uh, not, not long after, or, or during the, uh, that rookie mini camp. And the, I want to say it was an NFL network guy or an NFL.com guy or something that actually did the interview, uh, with him and Mason just saying how he's going to go in there. And I think the just my takeaway at the time was him saying that how he's going to go in there and compete for the job and, and all like that. And I, I'm, I'm not, I, I think, Ben didn't hear that specific interview, but heard, but read the write up on it. Maybe miss missing. Like, who does this kid think he is? And I I just think that kind of set the whole tone of it right from the get go of thinking, yeah, yeah, this kid thinks he's going to come in and I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting what I think is going through Ben's head. Mm -hmm. He did say he didn't feel like Mason was going to take his job, but I, right. But it does I, feel like Ben thought they're trying to push me out and they're trying to find right, right. So I think there was just some frustration right out of the shoot from from several angles there. Him not being happy with them drafting a quarterback where they did, uh, maybe second handing some of those initial interviews that uh, that 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 Mason did, and it just got off to the wrong. And then he probably, you know, I, I imagine he kind of little brothered him, you know. Know, know your role <laughs> right out of this shoot there. Mm-hmm. I just think the whole, you know, probably maybe a little bit of a cold uh, shoulder aspect of it. And, and I just, I think it, it got off to a rough start right out of the shoot, probably before the formation even attended his first session 
you know, team session, if you will, uh, with, with, with Ben. And, and obviously it, it feels like it deteriorated from there. And, uh, I, I just, I, I think, I don't think Ben's comments were all that truthful in the podcast just recently, but that's just my take on it. It's all water under the bridge, obviously, but just notable because it did, you know, gain some attention from our site and kind of in, in local Pittsburgh circles, my standpoint and the only point that I really have in my head is that, you know, Ben felt like the team was about to move on without him. They were planning for his replacement as opposed to trying to win. Now, you know, it should be worth noting. They drafted two players that could help them win now ahead of Mason Rudolph. They drafted Terrell Edmonds in the first round and James Washington in the second round. So it wasn't like they, they spent their first round pick on Mason Rudolph, but you know, it's it's whatever at this point. It's all said and done. They're not going to be best friends. That's clear, but it doesn't really matter too much uh, right now. I tell you what would be his highest rated show, and he's had some good ones. Talk about Ben. Uh, why not? You know, why not? It's not going to happen now. Right, right, this moment now, and and it probably will happen never. But I've I've learned to. I've seen some things that I've said never will happen happen <laughs> <laughs> enough times now in my life at fifty five. To, to say, oh, you know, that's never going to happen. Uh, get Mason in there on the show and have them have them two guys pour it out, you know, sure. and, 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 and squash it and say, well, look, this is how things got started. This is how things were interpreted. This is how I took things. This is how you took things. Uh, have a 90-minute uh, podcast on that. I'd listen to it. I mean, it kind of happened with Kenny Pickett. There was sort of those maybe some tension, some iciness from Ben's comments whenever Pickett uh, got drafted and Ben's whole didn't want him to succeed initially comment that he made. And they kind of had a prayer meeting and hash things out. So sure. I'd love to see that. Look, what, why do we cover Ben on a, on a weekly basis right now? Because it's, it's interesting stuff, right? Uh, plain and simple, right? I, I, I just think that people do care about it just based on the comments it receives and the, the local media attention and the number of people that, that read those posts. It, it just tells me that people have an interest in reading about it. So I'm, I'm maybe a little less interested in it than the general masses, but we do talk about it because people seem to care about it. All right. Uh, and, and we're only hitting this today because we failed to do so in the past show. So I, I don't want to take much more people's time. If you if you if you have not heard the latest episode of Ben's podcast, run over there and listen to it. Also, speaking of just going back to the, the Watt MVP, we should know the awards for the other two uh, categories, I would assume, sooner than later in terms of the Joe Green Rookie of the Year and the Chief Award for the Best Media person not media personality but the person who's the best with the media the player who is i can think safely assume it'll be joey porter jr for the joe green award there's a lot of good contenders this year it's a really strong rookie class but i think porter's gonna uh, stick out above all others do you disagree with that dave or do you think it's pretty much locked up yeah i, I think it's going to be porter i mean you could obviously make arguments for guys like uh keanu benton and uh you know even broderick jones to some degree but i i i think uh, just from overall growth and development and, uh, you know, making plays and, and, and asked what he's being asked, uh, doing what he's being asked to do. I, I think Joey Porter uh, Jr. Uh, should win that award. And TJ Watt may vote for Nick Herbig because he loves Nick Herbig and it's fun to watch that relationship. Real, real quick there. about, about the, about the chief award. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there are obviously several good candidates uh, for that. Uh, it feels like, 
Cam with the push for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award and all like that, it feels appropriate. And Cam's always first one to do the interviews and 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 you know after losses, after wins, whenever. Uh, it feels like that might be the appropriate choice there. Although you could go several different uh, directions with this thing. Uh, Mason Cole is a guy that, you know, while several people have issues with his play and understandably so on the, on the field, uh, he sticks out as a guy that's always there to answer questions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously doesn't get the limelight that, that, that several of these other guys do. I think Alex Highsmith's one that's always up there uh, in, 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 in front of the camera uh, after games, willing to do interviews and all like that. But uh, my, my gut feeling is that you'll see Cam win that award. I'm going to go out on a limb, call my shot here, and say Patrick Peterson wins the award. I think he's had some really good interviews this year. I think he's pretty honest and candid. Could be Cam. He's won it before, I'm pretty sure. But I'll say it's Patrick Peterson that takes it home. All right. Any any other candidates that we just didn't highlight real quick? For the Chief Award? Yeah. Um, I mean, the usual, you know, suspects, I guess. You could maybe say Pickett, be an obvious one, Watt. But I think it's probably going to be one of the one of the top three, Hayward, Cole, or uh, it Patrick Peterson won't be Najee Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Although he had a good interview, I think, post game after the Seattle game. Just he's declined some media interviews this year. And so that's why I make that joke. All right, Dave, moving on now towards the all 22, reviewing that from the Seattle game as you went back through. Let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, maybe the, the weaker of the two units of this game. Your impressions as you rewatch the tape. Uh, obviously could have been a lot better against the run, uh, poor, poor fits in there. Some, you know, uh, overall, uh, Mark Robinson on, on, on the touchdown or first touchdown specifically feels like that was out of, out of uh, whack there. It felt like, uh, defensively, uh, what more zone overall in this one, again, probably not not shocking there. They did rotate a lot of personnel in. I thought uh, communication, at least at its core, uh, seemed a little bit better overall. Uh, you don't like to see the middle of the field stuff still get exposed like they did in some of the easy pitches and catches that they had. I thought pre- uh, one thing that kind of did stick out overall when going back through over uh, uh, through the All-22, uh, while he didn't get home, I thought Alex Highsmith did a a good job rushing off off the edge overall. Had had a couple of pressures in there. Uh, trying to think what else. I think Keanu Benton, as the game started, was was. I, maybe, maybe you felt this as, as well too. Uh, it felt like his play kind of deteriorated a little bit as the game went on. A little bit off balance, a little bit time. I think on the ground a couple of times there. Uh, but he did stick out early in the game. Uh, well, first snap overall had that nice club swim of his uh, mm-hmm. uh, wide open path there uh, overall. Uh, it did feel like the, uh, especially against the run, uh, the, 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 the interior of the defensive line did not play as well. Yeah, that's probably fair overall. Um, I think maybe sometimes when you're Seattle facing a AFC opponent you haven't really seen before, a rookie like Benton, you might not know who that guy is as much early on. You watch the tape, you have a scouting report on him from your, your positional coaches, I know, but still you kind of have to see it up, up close, and I think they probably adjusted to him a little bit more effectively later in the game. 
Although they did lose their center, so I don't know right. the, the timeline of all, all that kind of stuff. But I thought Ogunjobi has played better in recent weeks and made some plays and done a nice job shooting gaps and getting some pressure. Montrevious Adams had a couple of good pressures. He's got some good bend and flexibility. But yeah, I just thought getting off of blocks and some of the run fits. I thought at a 13 personnel, Seattle countered well. They would run weak side. They would align three tight ends to one side, then run weak side, the opposite away from those tight ends. And um, kind of, you know, go against what Pittsburgh thought they might do and, and was shifting and shading towards. So that was pretty effective. The tackling was a little bit sloppy overall. So those are, to me, the reasons why the run defense was not as strong as we uh, hoped it would be. Yeah, I thought uh, the 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 back level with or, you know, the, the defensive backs did a better job tackling, obviously, than, than the front of the defense there. Sure. That makes sense. I think uh, some other thoughts, they dropped a, they dropped uh, Watt in particular in the coverage a lot in this game. I don't have the exact charting. I don't have the exact numbers that I pulled from my charting, but they dropped him a lot as they've done some of those kind of safe off-ball linebacker, you know, green dog or hug blitzes when the running back stays in. Um, I thought the communication wasn't as clean as I thought. So watching it live, I thought in man coverage, Pittsburgh had some issues trying to pass stuff off and banjo calls. The play before the Njigba touchdown, there was a really bad coverage bust from, I think, Killebrew and I forget who the, the, the cornerback was, maybe Levi Wallace, and the receiver was wide open because Pittsburgh, both guys took the same receiver and Geno Smith just missed it. So, and, and that was kind of a story throughout the game, especially early. I thought in man coverage, Pittsburgh did not do a great job communicating, kind of distributing some of those routes. And they didn't play a lot of man in this. No, I think because they were struggling to to kind of cover things up. Um, so they kind of really were zone heavy, especially in the second half of this game, which was a more effective scheme for them. Yeah, Eric Rowe ended up lead, leading this team in total tackles with 10, you know, and now obviously he's, he you know, plays you know, more in the box. So, but you you would like, uh, what, it goes back to the Minka thing uh, as well too. Yeah, you, you want your safeties to be there making tackles when it's needed, but I don't think you want them on a weekend, week out having to lead the team in tackles. Especially when the opposing team runs 49 plays and your safety has 10 tackles. That's a pretty disproportionate number there. So, yeah, that's not a number that you want to see. But, you know, also because they are rotating those inside backers more than they have, that maybe uh, this doesn't allow for those guys to play as many snaps. You know, Walker or Robinson, Robinson playing in base and Walker and nickel. But um, one guy I thought that played really well, I did a video yesterday on him was Chandon Sullivan. I think he's had a really solid past two weeks against the Bengals and against Seattle. I mean, he is who he is. He's not going to be a man coverage, you know, cover things downfield, but zone eyes and hook zones and playing downhill, attacking the run, uh, being physical. I thought as a tackler had a really good breakup on Tyler Lockett to begin a two minute drive that, um, stalled out for Seattle. I just think his play overall, you know, he's playing basically every down slot corner reps because Peterson's at safety now. I think Sullivan has made some really good plays underneath. Yeah, I would agree. And boy, that pass breakup he had over there on the side too was uh, was was a timely one. So I, I would agree with you uh, there. You obviously would like to have seen the pass rush to been a little bit more effective. You know, once again, they had uh, some pressures in this game. Uh, but, but to their credit, Wayne, I said I think I said this the other day. I, I thought Geno Smith really played a a, a good game. He did. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a good offense. I thought he had a solid outing. They got talent at all their eligibles, the running backs. I thought Walker in particular ran really effectively in that one. So Pittsburgh just made enough timely plays. The Herbig strip sack fumble was really the difference in this one to get a stop and help put Pittsburgh up two scores. 
Oh, well, we need to up up, update everybody as well, too, that uh, we found the other Nick Herbig uh, snap. Yeah, that came, I think, because that was after Watt had gotten dinged and was kind of in and out. That was one of the last snaps of the game Pittsburgh's defense had, one of those uh, fade balls in the end zone that Watt did, or excuse me, that uh, Herbig was out there for. Should mention, by the way, you know, I said that Joey Porter took his lumps in this game when he did, but I thought he battled in the second half. You talk about some of those goal line plays on that final stop that forced the field goal. There was um, a, a jump ball or goal line fade that Porter helped impact and break up. And then that one on the goal line to Metcalf out of the slot, uh, breaking that one up, knocking that one away. So I thought Porter, you know, kept his head in the game, didn't get too down on himself for giving up some plays early and, and right. battled throughout uh, the game. Yeah, I would agree. And he kept his emotions in check too, because on that one where Metcalf got called for holding that brought back that one long Walker run, Metcalf threw an elbow to Porter's head. And Porter <laughs> did not respond to it and credit them for that. Yeah, I uh, that stuck out. I posted that clip on 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 Twitter as well too. That was uh, uh, DK. DK seemed like he had something personal <laughs> go, going on on that one uh, specific rep uh, rep there. So uh, going to be interesting. Are we, we going to? I guess because of the rotating schedule and depending on where DK, uh, if he stays stays with Seattle, it might be a while before we see another one of those matchups. Yeah, I think maybe DK. The report was the Porter wants to talk trash and Metcalf kind of came out. I want to try to take it to him on that one. I don't know. I don't know if I get fined for that. I mean, that take an elbow to reduce head typically gets frowned upon by the NFL. So we'll see. All right. Speaking of, of officials, uh, really briefly before we get to the offense here, should mention, I meant to mention this before jumping into the all 22, uh, one Brad Allen's going to referee the Ravens Steelers game on Saturday. And like an offensive lineman, it's bad if, the, if people know who your name is as the official. And so Brad Allen was the head official, the white hat for the Lions Cowboys game last week, which included many questionable calls, of course, the reporting eligible situation, but beyond that, a tripping, a phantom tripping call. I think a questionable PI at another point in that game. So Brad Allen will, uh, for the first time this season, be the head ref for a Steelers game. That's going to mean a lot for Pittsburgh. Uh, absolutely interesting that uh, they 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 put that guy in. In uh, man, they should have they should have made Brad Allen do one of those insignificant games this week. Yeah, he's he's going to be in prime time instead. So I don't know what the rationale is because it's all it's going to well, be talked about for the first. I, Ten minutes and, of the game, but I do think that they have to rotate these crews as well too. And I think the the last Brad Allen's wanted to. I think that 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 crew's one of a few crews that has not done a Steelers game mm. uh, uh, this year. On top of it, I'm, uh, I need to probably look and see uh, if he's done a Ravens game as well too, because obviously they they want to try to uh, rotate these crews where they're not doing multiple games if they can if they can help it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't paid much attention to that, so maybe it was unavoidable, but he'll be under the national spotlight and has some Steeler fans nervous in this one. Okay, uh, he, Brad Allen, back in earlier in the season, did the Browns-Ravens game in Baltimore, I think. Was that in Baltimore? Let me see. I don't know. Uh, That was in Cleveland, I'm sorry. Uh, And he has not done a Steelers game uh, the, there's probably no way around them doing at least one, you, you, uh, one team probably twice during the season, right? Because of uh, the uh, the amount of crews that they have here, I'm trying to see if he did another Baltimore game. Does not look like he did 
there, and he definitely has not done a Steelers game. The last Steelers game I think he did was the Bengals game November 20th uh, there. So I would imagine this has something to do with with rotation of of crews. Okay, that makes sense. Regardless, his name will be mentioned as much as any name probably in this broadcast, so be prepared for that. I believe uh, one of our commenters, I I didn't get the chance to fact check this, so I'm going to put my trust in the internet here. Uh, Commenter said that Pittsburgh is 5-2 and all time when Brad Allen is the official. That might be for regular season games. I'm not sure. He's done some playoff games. 2018 Jacksonville win, the Browns wildcard upset back in 2020, so I know he's done those, but... Apparently, Pittsburgh has a decent track record under Brad Allen. Okay. All right, let's go back to the All-22, the offense here, Dave. Your thoughts, your impressions as you rewatch the tape. A lot of fun to watch this tape. It was a lot of fun here. Uh, I think uh, the thing that we've already talked about was the ability for the Steelers to run the football uh, in this game. Uh, that obviously stuck out, uh, especially early on. Uh, I think the Seahawks, you know, as the game went on, tried to make a more concerted effort to stop the run. And I think that that helped open up a little bit of the passing game aspect of it as well, too. The Steelers used uh, 13 personnel again, quite uh, uh Handily, if you will, a dozen or 13 snaps, I think, overall, according to Tom Mead's charting on that. Not only that, they ran out of 13, I think, every time. It was successful for the most part there. So they definitely went into this game saying, hey, we were we want to run the football uh, better so early in the game than later. But they still stuck with it. And as we talked about the other day in the podcast, uh, you know, the 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 uh, end reward was that for that was the final run by Najee Harris to seal the game uh, there and on the third down, I think at that, right. Uh, in, in that situation, that's, that's saying, Hey, we're going to run it here. You're not going to stop it. Uh, we're going to seal the game. And they did. Uh, they did a very good job of staying ahead of the chains uh, in this game. I looked before we uh, uh, went on uh, the show today. Uh, I think only four times in this game, they faced third or seven or more. Uh, in this game and the rest of the time were third and six or more. They did a very good job percentage wise of converting the uh, third and shorter instances there. Not so great in the third and long situations. In fact, I think the one of the third and long situations was that final uh, uh, run by Najee Harris there in that situation there to convert. I think the other three times, one of which was a sack, uh, they did not convert there. So just staying ahead of the chains was a big factor uh, in this game and opened up uh, really effectively opened up the playbook to do a lot of stuff in this game. Yeah, um, they have to run the ball well. They did. The push was great. The entire team, how hard that Warren and Harris ran. Uh, I think the stat that PFF had was they broke or forced 17 missed tackles between the two of them, Harris and Warren, which is just an unbelievably you know high number. I thought the tight ends really brought it in terms of their blocking. You mentioned Connor Hayward on Monday. I thought Washington, even from the first snap, Washington running his feet, straining, through the whistle, probably a little late, but I like the mentality. Frymouth as well, a little bit of Rodney Williams occasionally. And so I thought you just kind of saw collectively the effort, the finish, the strain from this group. And that was really critical. And I, I just pulled the stat here. We talked about for a couple of years how bad Pittsburgh has been on first down, which puts them in third and long and always playing for third down. Pittsburgh against Seattle, 
averaged 8.7 yards on first down. That was third in the NFL of the week, only behind Kansas City and Baltimore. So Pittsburgh usually is sitting around four and a half, maybe five yards per play on first down to be at 8.7. Not going to do that every single week, of course, but really good. And on first down in this game, they ran the ball 23 times past only eight. And so they ran the ball with great success on first down. Right. And speaking of first downs, going back to that late two minute, uh, which, by the way, if if people have not seen it, uh, there's a mic'd up session of Mike Tomlin uh, right ahead of that uh, that first down play there where they decided to uh, throw the football uh, and be aggressive. There's a great uh, clip of Mike Tomlin basically telling him, I I don't want to sit on our hands here. I want to I want to I don't want to be conservative. I want to be aggressive there. And on that play in particular, you look at the all 22. It's another dragon concept, right? Yeah, like last week or um, the what week was that like the uh, Cincinnati second the play? Game. Yeah, um, slant flat combination there, and again, good adjustment by Pickens to reach back for that one, and then good yak after and pick up the first down. So yeah, interesting to see. Not that it's a big shock, but to see how Tomlin kind of runs the offense in those moments doesn't call the plays, but will tell Sullivan what he wants. I want to rhythm pass. I definitive, definitively want to run. Another clip from that NFL films mic'd up session and so kind of setting the tone and telling the OC what he wants and then the OC decides on the exact play call from there. Uh, the mixed in good gap and zone runs in this one. Uh, uh, once again, you know, the, the, they probably didn't get the success that they wanted to get maybe in the second half as that thing went on, but the, but the Seahawks were making more of a concerted effort to, to stop the run uh, as the game went on. And, right. and the Steelers were able to adjust to that by you know throwing that pass on first down on that final drive, for example. So good adjustments overall. Any other thoughts? Anything negatively? We, we kind of had an issue, understandably so, trying to find those negatives Monday. I, I didn't really have anything big as I rewatched the tape. Did you have anything that stuck out to you in a not positive fashion? No, nah, just just the thing that you know. Obviously, look, they converted in the red zone very very well there. Uh, yeah, you maybe would have liked to see them, you know, punch punch at least one more of those in in those situations uh, going forward there. And you know, you could point to a couple of penalties there, but those penalties are way down. The negative plays are down. I mean, you really have to be nitpicking uh, super deep to go into a lot of you know uh, to to build a list of negatives coming out of the offense in this situation. And look, I, I think you hit on it. it starts on first down. Uh, the way this offense is, if they can uh, get 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 in favorable second down situations and uh if not convert there get into uh makeable third down situations that uh that opens up things for you as an offense to do you know to 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 get in 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 great situations you know mike vrabel uh met the media uh uh yesterday there and and talking about being behind the chains and being at least close in games where you're not having to sit back and drop back and, and, and be so predictable. I found that, uh, 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 I thought his whole, uh, press conference overall was very entertaining, <laughs> uh, talking about how they don't, you know, losing sucks and how, uh, they are going to, you know, do everything in their power to win this, uh, season finale against the Jaguars. Yeah, and that's important because the Jaguars' loss will have great positive implications for Pittsburgh and their playoff hopes. So rooting for Tennessee 
in this game. Any other final thoughts here? All 22 offense, defense, special teams? Uh, offense, uh, Yak once again. Let me see if I can uh, pull, pull it up. I mean, obviously, Yak was very, very good uh, in this game. Uh, Mason Rudolph getting sat down uh, with a sack just once, you know, another, you know, was another uh, key element in this game. So, I mean, it, it was actually very fun to go back through the all 22 this game. It was to put the numbers to it, just pulled them up from pro football reference. George Pickens as a rookie had 104 yards of yak 2.0 per reception this year, 393 yards of yak 6.2 per reception and his eight dots only slightly lower than a year ago. So it's not like the route tree has changed dramatically in terms of depth of target and where he's catching the ball that would lend itself to more yak opportunity so a night and day difference that was the one thing pickens talked about all off season want to work on my yak want to work on my yak doing some running back drills and he's become you know a, a pretty pretty significant contributor when it comes to yards after catch absolutely and that's uh one of the things that we talked about for this offense for a while here is getting these uh wide receivers uh all eligibles in the position to produce more yards after the catch all right, Dave, anything else that I'm missing here from, from this game? Um, kind of all the all 22 thoughts I had. I thought our Tom Mead had a really good study, and you kind of helped spearhead this one initially on Najee Harris and his health. And knock on wood, but I think we can safely assume he will at least play in this game against Baltimore on Saturday. Has the knee, but that's kind of been ongoing. He's going to you know power through it. And if he plays in this game, it means he will play in every single game in his first three years in the NFL for the running back position. That is... A unicorn and or Tom Mead had that study of, of the rare company that Ross. Harris is now or excuse me. Um yeah, right. I say Tom, I apologize. I had Tom on the brain. Ross McCorkle did a great study on that that uh showed the rare company that Najee Harris is in. Absolutely. And uh sometimes uh availability, especially when it comes to running back. So you know, tip your hat to him uh for for being able to stay healthy in all these games. I mean it's quite an accomplishment when you look back at some of these running all drafted running backs, right? Uh, when it comes to being able to play uh, not only the amount of games that he's played in, but play every damn one of them in the first three seasons. Yeah, and in Ross's study, and basically in terms of the guys that have the volume that Harris does, you know, playing a bunch of snaps, not being more situational, it's only him and Christian McCaffrey in terms of playing in every single game their first three seasons over the last 20 years of, of drafted running back. So. Really impressive there from Harris, and he still now has a pretty legitimate shot to reach a thousand yards, which would be three straight years for him and have uh, his best season. I, I, I know we can still talk about this and debate it. Has your have your thoughts changed on Harris in that fifth year option at all, considering the surge of him in this run game late in the season? Not yet. <laughs> Is there anything that there's maybe only one game left that could change it potentially? So, or probably nothing that's going to change your, your outlook? No, no, you know how I am with running backs and all. And, you know, because of the amount of uh, wear and tear that they get and with his age and, and all like that, because the fifth year option would be fully guaranteed uh, once it is uh, exercised. I, you know, I, I think maybe what you try to do, if you can, if you can do this with him would be what what we talked about San Francisco did with McCaffrey or not not San Francisco Carolina uh or was it no he got the ex he got the extension before he got traded right yeah uh, i i think you're right but my my memory's a little foggy right now right but uh in other words before getting to that fifth year option decision 
with him, see if you can work out some sort of an extension with him that, you know, would, would limit the guaranteed money involved and produce, you know, a, 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 a lower cap hit for what would that be? 2025. I think you might try to approach him that way in it. Now, look, they, they, they like Najee. Uh, I'm, up until late, as we've talked about several times, it doesn't feel like Najee's having the most enjoyable season overall. Now, look, you get into the playoffs, win a couple of games, winning winning cures everything, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, there's, because of the way I feel about the fungibility of the running back position and how he's performed, you know, to date, I would be hesitant to pick up his fifth-year option. But you think an extension is now on the table? I, I I think you could explore that depending on on the specifics of it too. Now look, uh, uh, it would probably be something that's only the first year guaranteed money would what would what the Steelers will want to do, and would would Najee want to lock himself up uh, for that? You know, and then just what's his yearly value? You know, McCaffrey was top of the market kind of dude, and Harris is not quite at that level. So I wonder that price point on the position and for him might be difficult to come together on. Right. I mean, is the price point is is his average yearly value less than what it would be by the fifth year option amount, you know? Which is going to be roughly how much? Is it eight million something? Well, on the wasn't it something like like eight million something right around in there? That sounds right. That was the number in my head. So yeah, that's a, I had not really explored. You know what the market is for for running backs and that kind of stuff. We'll have the off season to to do all that. But uh, interesting thought. So I don't know. I really don't know which way this thing's going to go right now with Harris. To be honest with you, I, I'm not going to emphatically say there's no way that they do it. You know. But uh, if you're asking me what my thought, it's 6.71 right now with him. Okay. That's for, that'll be what it'll be for, for May. Or is that what it's currently for this, this past year? Uh, No, that's, that's his expected fifth year option amount right now. If exercised in, in ahead of the May deadline. Okay. So a little bit lower than that. That would be for the 2025 season. Sure. So, but once you exercise that fifth year option with him, it becomes fully guaranteed at that point. Uh, and overall, I mean, that it's not like that, that amount kills you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can pick it up and, and work with it, especially with a year out to kind of help plan for it. You know, but uh, I, I think he fits best in this offense as, as a, a tandem piece along with Najee Harris. I mean, along with uh, Jalen Warren. Sure. Right. It's all, that's why I was so frustrated earlier this year was the debate, oh, who's better, Harris or Warren, and who's the long-term option. I, I always said I was just happy to have both guys in Pittsburgh because they, they need each other in some sense. They keep each other fresh. They complement each other well. You know, Warren on passing downs has really been, been an asset there. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to have both. I think Pittsburgh you know, will, will feel the effects if one of them is not there for any reason. And look, to his credit, he has, what, seven or eight explosive runs on the season? Yeah, I mean they're not fifty yarders, but they're twenty plus. I mean, he, it's has been it's easily his most explosive running season of his NFL career. And if he had missed some games up until this point, you could use that against him, but you can't uh, right right now. I mean, he shows up every Sunday and plays. 
Right. And there at least has been some wear and tear reduction because he's no longer the every snap workhorse getting over 300 carries per year, you know, like his rookie season. So you can try to, you know, better leverage that from Harris's side and say, we're not at risk of wearing down had you been grinding me down to a pulp the last three seasons because his role's kind of been more of an early down back for the last almost two years. All right. I went on record and said I wouldn't give him that. What would you do? Well, I was taking it from what they will do as opposed to what I'm no, okay. We, we, I'm, I, I, people want it. People will like us to put our thoughts out there of what we would do. Sure. I, I'm okay if they pick it up. I will have no issue if they pick up a fifth year option. That's not, um, um, what would you do? I'd pick it up. I think, okay. I think I'm leaning towards that right now. Um, it's not a, a crazy number overall. And I mean, you know, when they, when they declined the option in the past, I know right now it's guaranteed that it does change the equation, but those were on guys that were like no-brainers. Of course, they weren't going to pick it up on Jarvis Jones, Artie Burns, Devin Bush. They never really had a situation where they, anytime it's kind of been in doubt, they picked it up on the guy. You know, Bud Dupree before his breakout year, for example, was I think someone we talked and wondered if they would or not, but they did. And I think maybe their stance is unless it's so obvious that we're not going to do it, we're going to pick it up because if we do have something invested in the guy and we want to, we want to kind of see through the contract that we plan for. All right. Uh, if you were to rubber stamp that 6.7 into today's average yearly uh, uh, running back contracts and, and, and all where he would rank, it would put him right around, I guess, 10th or 11th. Uh, Cause Dalvin cooks are fixing to be eliminated, right? Cause his is 7 million. There aren't, aren't they parting ways with him? Yes. Uh, there, uh, James Connor is at 7 million average yearly value. So there would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And counting Connor, there'd be 10 players in today where, where, where the value sits now as average yearly value ahead of what Najee's 2025 value would be. And then I think with the option, I mean, I, I know the extension is going to keep that number down, but to your point, how many running backs have gotten extensions and you kind of regret it a year or two in McCaffrey's an exception, but there's so many deals. You look back and say, man, I wish we didn't give this guy a three-year deal and have some, something to, to deal with. So the option to me right now, my strategy would kind of be what we thought it would be when they drafted him was you get five good years out of him and then you may move on and look for somebody else after 2025. And look, in dealing with him, if you were to go with, uh, at him for an extension prior to using the fifth-year option on him, uh, you could lay out the ceiling for him as far as this is what you're scheduled to make in 2024. Uh, this is what you would make in 2025 if we pick up the fifth year option. And then this is what you would potentially make in 2026 if we turned around and had to use the franchise tag on you. So you could, you could easily ceiling him with his earnings and then use that as a quote unquote weapon as far as an extension goes. Sure. That's kind of been, I'm sure, the strategy in the past. So we'll see. I think it begins with the option discussion and you go from there, but things looking better than they did a couple of weeks ago. And I think at the, you know, when you look at it in a vacuum, which would lead credit credence to why it wouldn't be surprising for them to pick it up would be that right now, that number in 2025 would be the six point 
you know, seven or whatever number uh, it, it is. And it's not like that's killing you, w- would kill you or mm-hmm. not expected to kill you at that point. Yeah. And then you had, what, what was the commentary on Jalen Warren in terms of extension possibilities or did you have something about yeah, that? Yeah, I made today? I made a mistake on that and I uh by going back through the CBA uh I thought for sure that I saw talk about the the undrafted guys here and them having to follow the the uh 3-year rule with uh drafted players. They according and this comes from section K in the uh I think it's article 7 in the CBA about renegotiations. One, a rookie contract for a drafted rookie may not be re- renegotiated, amended or altered in any way until after the final regular season game of the player's third contract year. Uh the second addition to this, a rookie contract for an undrafted rookie may not be renegotiated, amended or altered in any way until after the final regular season game of the player's second contract year it's interesting how they split that up between undrafted and, and drafted so i guess in theory warren could get an extension but we don't i don't anticipate that happening after this season at least where the steelers come from and look if, uh you know you got the whole politics there what if what if you ex- what if you give him an extension don't pick up the fifth year option on 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 Najee. uh and the other aspect of this too is you know they uh if if Jalen Warren was not extended this coming off season and forced to play out his third and final uh, uh, contract year of his rookie deal, then he would obviously be eligible for uh, an RFA tender, right? So right. at most, that would you're not gonna you're not gonna put a first round tender, no matter how good he is. I just can't you know, uh, see him being, being worthy of a first round tender after 2024, but Mm -hmm. you could get into a situation where you, in order to keep him, you have to use a second round restricted free agent tender on him. Uh, and even then, because you have the control aspect of that to use as a weapon, unless they got a, 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 a deal done with him that would be incredibly slanted to the Steelers side, only first year guaranteed money. Uh, I, I, I can't see that happen though. The way you go to him here, the way you would approach him on this deal is basically prepaying him his 2023 and potential second, uh, second round tender money in 2025 kind of ahead, ahead in, a, in, in, in guaranteed money. That's how you would get ahead of this. And then obviously the only guaranteed money would be the signing bonus and right. potentially the, the, uh, his, 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 his uh, base salary in 2024. That's it. Take it or leave it. Do, do you want the money now or do you want to risk, risk it moving forward? That's how that could be used as a weapon against him. You go across the league though. And I, and I tried to do this after I found my faux pas there. You don't see many players after, undrafted free agents after their second year signing very lucrative deals. Right. Again, with, do not with, with the it. new, with the new CBA deal, you know, sure. since, since the new CBA. Don't expect it to happen with Warren. When did Bill Nueva sign his extension? And that was kind of Pittsburgh had the leverage about him being restricted or whatever it was. He was at, what are the exclusive rights and all like that? And that even That's came, 
you know, obviously his at that point, you know, he was he was off of his initial deal any his his initial sure. deal anyway because he had been a member of the practice squad and all, all like that. Uh but they and they used that as a weapon. Now he still obviously made a nice nice mm-hmm. contract off of that, but they were able to mute mute that down because of the leverage that they had against him. Yeah, it was a team friendly deal for a starting left tackle. It was what four years, I think twenty four million. But when I know the timeline's messy because you know his his background, his story bouncing around, but that was like after his third NFL season, I guess it would have been. Do you know? Uh he was still in exclusive rights at the time, right? So he technically would have only had two NFL seasons in, I think. Okay. But it is weird because, you know, he had been in the league for a second and then did his military service and then came back in Philadelphia, then Pittsburgh practice squad. So it is a different path, but maybe there's going to be some sort of comparison there. But again, I, I point is, I think Warren, we're talking after next year, may, you may look at that, not after right. this off season. Right, right, right. All right. Anything else here, Dave? I was kind of just stretching because we, I kind of didn't have as much to talk about today because we had the Tomlin stuff on Monday on this, you know, shorter week. Anything else you'd like to, to add? Uh, I think we got most of it knocked out, didn't we? All right, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right, let me pull it up here in the email machine. And we have from Chris uh, writes in, good morning, fellas. With Mason suddenly finding his game, do you think it's possible that he's showing that mobility within the pocket is more important than general mobility? Uh, I've heard this week how the line love that they know Mason is going to stay in the pocket and it makes it easier to block, uh, knowing where he is. Mason has shown great accuracy and zip. Is it possible he is turning into a franchise quarterback, but is possible, uh, a late bloomer as much as I love the person Kenny is my concern as a fan is the talent and winning Mason definitely has uh, showing promise. Love you guys. And happy new year. Look, God, this is, you know, and I think we got a lot of questions in here about Mason. Uh, what Mason has put on tape the last two weeks is undeniably better than what he has put on tape prior to that. All right. Uh, I think mm-hmm. his pocket uh, poise has been very, very good, man. That, uh, that, that deep throw to, uh, to, to, to George Pickens uh, in that game against the Seahawks. He did a great job of just standing in there with all the noise around him and, 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 and getting rid of that football. Uh, what, what he has provided this offense is the ability to make plays within structure, right? Yeah. Playing from the pocket. And I've said for the longest time, certainly outside structure mobility is important, but I still think playing from within the pocket, navigating within the pocket is still the most important thing a quarterback can do. I think overall you can nitpick his, uh, his, his uh, mechanics and flat footedness and stuff like that. But you could look at uh, Patrick Mahomes tape and, and and uh, you know, some of the better quarterbacks and 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 get on them as far as uh, some mechanics go. There, the, the the key is here: is he making plays? Is he going through progressions uh, more times than not? Where he's at these last two games specifically, uh, is he playing within structure and making plays when you need it? Now, I will point to, or people will point to, as an argument against uh, uh, Mason Rudolph right now. Well, look at it. Look, look at the two defenses that he's played. You know, Cincinnati and 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 the Seahawks. And 
and and try to use that against him. And and I I I, I get that, uh, but because of how the offense was functioning, forced the Bengals into certain situations that they did not want to be in in this last game. Uh, they were they they knew they had to had had to uh, get on stopping that run. The same with the Seahawks. But I mean that's a byproduct of running running the football the way they you know were able to do and really essentially in both these games overall uh, there. But he did deliver in those situations where they were opportunistic for him to push the football down the field. And I think that is important over there. Uh, the third down thing I think bears watching with Mason moving forward and let's hope it's more than just this next game. And, and look, once again, people are probably going to be able to use uh, part of the narrative, especially if the, 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 the Ravens sit some key defensive people. Well, look, look who the Ravens were playing here, you know, uh, mm-hmm. here. Uh, I think a thing to look at, uh, especially in this game against the Ravens is, is, is if they do get in more third and seven or more situations, how is he able to convert in those situations there? I mean, so far in these last two games, he hasn't faced a lot of that. And overall, you know, as we mentioned, I think th- this team was what one of four on third downs uh, in in seven or yards needed against the Seahawks, and one of those was a run. The other three, I think, were failed situations. There, I'm not. Yeah, you know, I'm just pointing that out as what 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 we saw in those situations uh, in, in 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 the game. There, uh, I think he. I think. Mason has grown as a quarterback of what he's seeing across from him. And he was asked about that during his press conference yesterday, you know, about mm-hmm. reading defenses and how he starts with the safety and how, uh, 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 linebackers, you know, uh, will lie to you. And sometimes defensive line will lie to you, but sometimes safeties won't, won't as much, uh, lie to you. Now, look, the rate they're going to play a defense that regardless of who's in there is usually generally pretty good of lying to you with, with their safeties. Right. Yeah, and DC Mike McDonald might be head coach next year. He's done a, a fantastic job running that that ship over there. Uh, back to the core of this question: Do you think it's possible that he is showing that mobility within the pocket is more important than general mobility? My short answer is yes, because you want you want your quarterback to be able to play and make plays within structure within the pocket as much as as possible, and that's definitely something that Kenny Pickett has not done. Yeah, it's what Pittsburgh has been looking for. And just a, a quick thought on the general comment about the defenses in which Rudolph has played. Yeah, he's not played amazing defenses, but I think Seattle and Cincinnati have some talent. And listen, Rudolph, you know, number three quarterback and with a bad Steelers offense, proud of that point. Pittsburgh's played some bad bad defenses this year and, and not had success. So, I mean, you, you don't have to, that shouldn't be the excuse. You know, he's made some great throws and some great plays and played better than any quarterback in Pittsburgh has the last two years. So I'm not going to, try to judge on a curve too much because you know expectations were low for Rudolph and I think he's just doing a really good job out there all right Zach Watt writes in hey David Knox what can you attribute this uptick in quality of Mason's play to have there been cases where a guy's put up as rough of numbers as Mason has in seasons prior and not had reps but such an extended period of time and gone on to turn it around five years in uh, he says I know he wasn't pitiful but his uh, two most recent performance uh, are pretty unprecedented for him uh, could it uh, be that he's reached an intersection between comf- comfortability and professional games and the amount of practices needed to truly compete and his skill level is generally increased do you think if he's worked 
work with private coaches to get better. This could, or could this all be a fluke? Look, I mean, it, there's always going to be exceptions to the rule, right? There are. It's interesting. What's the study on the 28-year-old breakout quarterback? I don't know how many there have been over time. Um, not. To, I'm not comparing him to this name I'm, I'm about to bring up, but Terry Bradshaw had a pretty rough start to his NFL career. He got benched a bunch of times. They went through him and Hanratty and Joe Gilliam, and then Bradshaw kind of finally found traction a bit later. Again, not saying Rudolph is Terry Bradshaw, but in terms of quarterbacks that have had a kind of messy start and then it took a couple of years to find their footing. That's one. And Rudolph does work with Tom House, uh, I think, for quite some time. So he does have a, a, a private or you know personal quarterback coach in the way that Kenny Pickett does as well. Do you remember how bad he looked in that Cincinnati game uh, that he uh, that uh, Duck took over in? I remember the last throw he made before Low. he got pulled, just a total, a, a literal duck, and then right. a figurative duck came in to replace him. That's my one takeaway from that Bengals game. Uh, he just, he lacked confidence overall, and uh, he just, he looked, he looked unsure of himself. Right now, he looks very, very sure of himself, you know, but uh, when you roll back, I mean, he, uh, prior prior to him, you know, losing that to, to duck that season, uh, he looked he looked, he looked bad. Yeah. But it's obvious to say we're comparing a second year guy in his first NFL playing time in that 19 season to a, a veteran at this point, a guy that's been in the NFL for many, many seasons. So I'm not, it's not surprising necessarily to see him just look more composed and put together than where he was the last time we, we really saw him longer term. Right. And then you roll back to that tie against the lions. He, you know, he wasn't awesome in that game, but there were also some, didn't, didn't he have some eligibles fumble away some balls in that game? Didn't fire moves fumble one Johnson late. They probably would if they don't fumble. Uh, Rudolph had a really bad pick in that game, but yeah, he was not the reason why that game was a tie. And plus he was starting literally 24 hours before the game. He found out he was getting on. So there weren't the practice reps and all that, that he has this time around. And look, he, I think Rudolph has even said, boy, I, man, I, 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 just how good it feels to be able to take these, these, these number one reps during a week, you know? Yeah. Practice matters for the quarterback position to go in cold like that. I mean, cause you're the backup. You don't get many reps as the backup quarterback because it's starters got to get his, his work in. So when you can get those reps, it's a night and day difference. Look, it's undeniable, and it's why, it's why Mike Thomas made the decision that he's made at this point. This team's doing things that it has not done. Uh, on, on, on offense, they're putting up points more specifically, uh, staying in those better, uh, 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 down a distance situations. I think that's helped obviously Rudolph by, by getting in, in more favorable, uh, down a distance. I mean, the, the, the whole offense is just, is just moving better with him. Uh, is it too early? Is there enough out there right now to have a definitive read on what, Mason will be moving forward. Again, my posture is I want to watch this year play out. I want to see this start today or the start Saturday and kind of go from there. And before I can make any sort of conclusion, I want to get all the information at my fingertips before going anywhere else from, from there. Right. I, I think that he needs to be committed on how he's played uh, so far, but also I, you know, I, I want to see a few more games from him because he hasn't even re- reached a 20 game mark. Yeah. And again, half of that is from that 19 season too. you know, essentially his first year. So we'll see. We'll keep watching. 
Uh, Taylor Carpenter. I'll try to keep this short because I know Uncle Dave dislikes wordy emails. Since the day Pickett was drafted, I've been worried about the one major issue I see with him, arm talent. Over the last two weeks watching Rudolph, I have seen a handful of throws that I simply do not believe Pickett is capable of making. These throws I'm speaking of are when Rudolph has been able to climb the pocket and without really setting his feet, be able to throw the ball down the field 35 to 40 yards, all arm throws. Uh, my question for you guys, after watching Rudolph be able to push the ball downfield compared to Pickett this year, are you more concerned with Pickett's ability to successfully run in uh, an NFL offense? He says, I'm not saying Pickett can't make downfield throws, but it seems like in order for him to do it successfully, he really needs to be able to step into his throws, which limits him, in my opinion. Also, pocket presence is not none so good, but I'll save that right for a future email. Uh, Taylor, I will say this, that uh, I, I, you know, when it came to Pickett, I've watched every throw of his once he was drafted uh, and all. And uh, I believe I did say that, you know, arm talent was a little bit questionable. I think he only had like, as far as air yard completions past the line of scrimmage goes, I think there was just one that was 51 or longer, 52. 52 yards, but there was not a lot of deep ball past, say, 45 yards on his tape. Now, Kenny has shown at the NFL level he can throw the outs uh, from from the far hashes. Uh, he can throw the back shoulders. He can drop those ones in the 30 to 40 yard range into the bucket down the sideline. I think there are still questions about those uncorked ones, especially in flat footed situations where there aren't those questions. I don't believe with Mason Rudolph. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's a combination of skills. It's not just one thing. Mason Rudolph has more arm talent. I think overall than Kenny Pickett, but Mitch Trubisky might have the best arm talent in that room. I think it's him and Rudolph are fairly close, but Trubisky falls apart from some of the more foundational fundamental stuff of quarterback play. Again, I think Rudolph's ability to play from the pocket primarily is what's giving him the edge right now, even beyond his arm talent. It helps, but I just think he's more fundamental in terms of the, the one, two, three ABCs of quarterback play right now. Right now we're talking all, 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 all around, you know, type player. Mason's the better player right now. He's kind of this combination of like the best that Pickett can be in terms of being smart with the football. And then the best of what Trubisky can be in terms of being able to make some of those more higher level throws downfield. And he kind of takes the, the good from both takes away the bad. And you're kind of getting almost a, a hybrid version of Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. Is there a little bit of Kirk cousins in Mason Rudolph? And I'm not, I'm not, not comparing them one to one, you know, saying, Oh, he's mm -hmm. like Kirk Kirk, but do you see a little Kirk cousins in Mason? I can see that. What were some of the comps on Mason coming out of Oklahoma state? I wonder what some of those were back then. And will we see Mason in a chain blowing the, the, the Minnesota Vikings horn <laughs> before the game? I don't know if you saw Kirk cousins do that for the, uh, the last Here, here's the thing I, I remember about breaking down Mason's tape, uh, coming, coming out of, uh, 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 Oklahoma state as well, too. While he did have some extended plays on his tape, there wasn't a lot of, them. and obviously playing in that, in that conference at the time he was playing, uh, against and all, you know, obviously a lot more wide open and, and, and not the, 
not the kind of defenses that you would face, say in the in in the Big Ten or or the SEC, and as far as quality and all goes like that. Uh, so he was you know obviously going to be more of a pocket passer uh, anyway coming out of college. Sure, I mean that that's his wheelhouse is always playing from within the pocket. What were you looking up? Uh, NFL comps. I saw NFL.com compared him to Christian Ponder. I think mm. he's surpassed that. I'm trying to find some other ones. I don't have anything top of mind. I was just curious what some of the uh, NFL comps were for him coming out of he, Oklahoma State. You know, just the way he, because he's, he's, Mason's not an elite uh, pocket mover in the pocket, but he, he, he is also not afraid to stand in there, if that makes sense. His presence has improved greatly. It was a mess early in his career, as it is, I think, for a lot of young quarterbacks. Um, it's still, yeah, it's not great. But just in terms of, you know, feeling the rush better, going through his progression, standing tall in the face of pressure. When I talk about playing from the pocket, those are the things I refer to. Uh, I'm at the point where Mason, where I want to see more. Yeah, and we will. And, I, and I'm excited. See. I'm excited to see more, you know. Yeah, it's a good feeling to have about a quarterback in Pittsburgh right now. All right, uh, LM, Luke writes in, are there any salary cap impacts if you cut a guy and then sign him to a new contract? For instance, is it possible, not likely, just possible, to cut Allen Robinson, which they're going to do, then re-sign him to a veteran uh, minimum one-year contract here? Uh, all right, uh, with the deal with Allen Robinson uh, specifically here is uh, there, let's see the prorated money because of what they did with this contract. There is a little bit of uh, uh prorated bonus uh, that you would eat as dead money next off season, a, a tick over 1.9 million. Uh, you could, here's the thing for what you would do with Alan Robinson. If you deem he's not worth $10 million base salary in 2024, which there's probably not a single soul listening that thinks he's worth that. Uh, you go to him and say, look, this is what we want to do with your contract here. Take it down to 1.2 million unguaranteed or 1.3 million unguaranteed, or maybe even lower. And if you don't do that, then we're going to have to cut you. Then you are free to go shop your services. And if you want to come back at that point, then it's going to be a minimal value deal. Yeah. So essentially you just rework the contract and not have to deal with the penalties of cutting him. You can just rework the deal and that's a way to, to get around those uh, consequences. Yeah. You just have a justice paragraph five, which is 10 million. Yeah. And if he refuses, then of course, as you said, then you cut him and you deal with it from there. But yeah, you, you wouldn't first go into it with the idea of cutting him to resign him. You would try to work it out just before he's even cut. And then you, you save yourself from those, those, uh, downsides right generally you don't see these guys come back now yeah of course you had a miles jack situation but i mean that's how many months removed mm. and, and 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 injury you know uh uh called for the you know you needed you needed warm bodies with experience and all and to miles jack uh credit uh he's he's played he's played reasonably well upon his return here yeah, but that was not their plan or intention when they released him. But you think about William Jackson last year, mm -hmm. you know, was was gone. Those types of things. So Robinson, you know, could he come back? Maybe, but not at ten million. No, not even close. Um, but they got to find they got to find someone who can work right. in the slot fuller time. And like they just they've had no slot production. That's why they moved Deontay inside more often. I think recently because 
mean, their slot receivers the last two years, like their primary slot guys have been Chase Claypool, Gunnar Olszewski, Steven Sims, Allen Robinson, and Calvin Austin. And the production between those guys is minimal. Here's a question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. What would you do with Miles Boykin during the offseason? Obviously, mostly special teams uh, related. But uh, do you do you bring him back and at least have him? I mean, there's 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 nothing against you know a minimum value contract for a guy like that. Then see how the rest pans out. But I mean, uh, I guess does his does his limited offensive ability combined with his special teams ability make it a slam dunk that he should be resigned and maybe for a little bit more than 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 the minimum. I think right around there, yeah, I'd, I'd take him one year for at or just slightly above. Could he be one of those veteran benefit contracts where he gets the extra signing bonus and doesn't sure. hurt the cap as much? So yeah, I, I'd probably offer that. Yeah, I think special teams value some experience because your receiver room might have some turnover. And they like him in 13 personnel as a blocker. There's a little bit of value there. So I, I, that's the course I would take. All right, Tyler Armis uh, has got a question about Najee, which we really already addressed about Najee's fifth-year option. Has our opinion changed on that uh, at all based on recent production? Uh, Tyler, we answered that earlier in the show for you. One final one from Chris Warren. I apologize in in advance, but I feel that I I must beat a dead horse. Nick Herbing needs to be on the field. Uh, I'm not necessarily arguing for significant increase in snaps on, on at edge. Uh, as we do have two of the best edge rushers in the game, but we are seeing a significant lack of production opposite Miles Jack. The rotational guys can't cover and really aren't making much of an impact in the run game either. I realize Herbig is an edge rusher, and that is where he will shine in the coming years, but with his football IQ and motor, he needs to be on the field more. Now, all I am asking is for five to ten snaps at inside linebacker, let him roam, disrupt, and rush. What do you guys think? Uh, I understand the premise of all this uh, here. Uh, when it comes to him, it is going to be hard to get him more snaps just on the edge as it is uh, because of them team not wanting to take uh, uh, high, uh, Highsmith and Watt off the field. Could you carve out an next more than two snaps a game for him? I think you can. Now, as far as inside linebacker, you could do some. Uh, I, I think it would come in more down and distance situations to try to get him on the field uh, where you can have fun with him with having three outside linebackers technically on the field. Yeah, they've messed with that in the past. Um, you know, it, it's going to be an offseason conversation. We're going to hear about that a lot, I think, in the spring and the summer. You know, if Golden does not return and Herbert becomes the true number three, he's going to absorb those snaps. And I think he's going to play a bit more because of that. Injuries happen. You're, you're one you know, injury away from starting every down playing time. So I don't know. I mean, they're going to find ways. Herbert had been playing more the last two weeks prior to the Seattle game. He didn't play much against Seattle because Seattle barely had the football. They ran right. 49 plays. They weren't extended drives that needed substitutions in, rot- in rotation. So they were rotating it a bit better uh, prior to that, I think, against the Colts and the Bengals. So um, offseason, I think you can talk about some inside linebacker possibilities. And look, you would have to have him in that room more, obviously. And 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 it's easier on him as a rookie to focus on one thing, and that's playing on the edge and stuff like that. Uh, and he's done an exceptional job. I mean, you had the post this morning <laughs> about his – basically what you're saying is uh, Nick Herbig should be playing over T.J. Watt. 
Is that yes. how that yes. that's how I'm interpreting uh, everything just off of uh, the headline and 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 not looking at the data? You are <laughs> you are team Herbig over TJ Watt, right? Future Hall of Famer Nick Herbig, get the speech ready. But the the production relative to his um, snap count, he's actually again he's not better than TJ Watt. Obviously, just tongue in cheek, but uh, he's got a better sack rate than TJ Watt. He's got a better forced fumble rate, better uh, tackle for loss in the run game rate, and the pressure rates while Watt leads are, are very similar. So Herbig on a you know per snap basis, his production is just stupid good right now. And just to be clear, Alex is not calling for that to happen. <laughs> I, literally the first thing I wrote in that post, because I knew exactly where this thing was going to go. But uh, I mean, just to say that Herbig is maximizing his opportunity. And, and look, and let's let's get if you get moved past this season and you say to yourself, man, I wish Nick Herbig would become a permanent member of that inside linebacker room. OK, then what are you going to do at outside linebacker? True. You know? True. Yeah, he should not be a permanent inside guy, but could you find a couple packages for him to, to work in? They've actually done it once this year against the Bengals. I think it's worth exploring. That's the that's the converse that's the part of the conversation then that needs to be had is what how else can you get him on the field uh in addition to being a let's assume that he's number three edge in 2024. Can you add to that? to get him into some packages where there would be the three of them on the field. Yeah. Now you will have, you assume Cole Holcomb coming back next year and he's going to have a role obviously. So, you know, this year it almost became easier because you had so many injuries, but her big trying to switch him mid season is a tough thing to do for, for a rookie, but We'll see. We'll be talking about it. I know we'll talk about it next, next spring, next summer, next camp. And, and look, once again, people say, well, you guys don't, don't admit, you know, en- enough when you're wrong and all like that. I mean, look, we, I don't know how many times we have to say it. I, you know, I, I thought that this guy, I thought this kid might struggle out on the edge due to uh, the measurables. And you know, I never questioned his motor or, 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 or work ethic or anything like that. Just some things, you know, didn't match up uh, uh, with him. But uh, he has more than exceeded what I thought already he could do as an edge. And you would think that on a year in the weight room and another year studying tape and uh, look, his hand usage on the, that that sack of his against the Seahawks. I mean, he was first snap into the game. Mm-hmm. All right. So quarter. Uh, fourth quarter of the game, as you may, he's already played a handful of uh, special team snaps at that point comes in and he gets a chip on top of that against the left tackle. Uh, who's that cross over there? Mm-hmm, a uh, former top 10 pick. Right. Uh, and he fights through the chip and good hand usage, uh, even gets a, takes a little bit of a shock there at, 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 at the snap from, from the tackle in there fights through all that. And then still has the wherewithal to bend the, bend the corner and then ball search, you know, uh, and then recover the fumble and then recover the damn thing, uh, there, uh, that's, I mean, that's, that was a a plus 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 rep. And then as we mentioned, the rep on the other side was shoddy as well too. And he is a guy that can give you what you need uh, on both sides. Uh, he probably does need to work on setting the edge more on the outside. Uh, but he hasn't looked awful in that, uh, uh, portion of his game when called upon this year either. So look, he, he is, he, he is, has been a fine for them for sure. I said it on Twitter after he made the, the, the strip sack fumble. 
I was wrong. I was wrong, wrong, wrong about Nick Herbig having to move inside as wrong as you possibly can be. So I will gladly and readily admit that. And there have been what we pointed out ahead of the, you know, once he was drafted, there have been exceptions to the rules with guys like him uh, for, for sure. It's not a lot of them, but there have been exceptions to the rule. And it looks like he, you know, he's, he is that. He really might be a Kyle Van Noy type. Right. Van Noy played some off ball. That we, we talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit, and it, it's really trending. Maybe maybe a better version or similar, but he may be the next Kyle Van Noy. You know, and once again, you know, I don't know how many more snaps he's going. You know, you obviously want Highsmith and Watt to stay healthy, and you know, I think the real uh, testament of what what he can or cannot be in the NFL might come with more regular snaps on a regular basis, which you technically don't want to see, you know, uh, because it probably means injury, but attrition happens, you know, but Mm -hmm. what he's been asked to do so far, there's been nothing wrong with it. Amen. All right. Uh, I think we got through and and we, we spent a lot of time on some of these questions as well too. So if we didn't get to your question, uh, I, 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 we apologize on that. Keep, keep them coming there. Uh, All right. We'll wrap it up, Alex. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. <clears throat> follow the show at terrible podcast, email the show, the terrible podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate Steeders hit the donate button. Also, if you'd like an ad free version of the site, Steeders hit the ad free button, follow the directions that way. We've got uh, Jonah, right? Set back up. Or, uh, Jonas uh, mm-hmm. set back up for, uh, for, for the Friday show to talk a little bit about the Ravens. Uh, he's excited to do it. I already talked to him a little bit there. So look forward to that on the Friday show. So until then, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex.